1: How come you boys can't have those keg parties and chase the girls like all the other nice boys do? Y'all are nerds.
2: Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey, Money fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Doug, and on today's show, we're talking to Forbes 30 Under 30 entrepreneur, Meg Gill, about my favorite topic. No, not that one. It's beer. Actually, we're going to talk entrepreneurship on today's show. When's the right time to leave your parents' basement, grow your wings, and fly, little bird, fly? Hypothetically, you you know. Also, in our headline segment, we're talking hidden treasure. Think you have it in you to go find the gold? Probably not, after you hear the rest of this story. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to one lucky caller. And today's show has it all. Finance, side hustles, and best of all, beer. Here they are, two guys who are a few bottle caps short of a 12-pack, Joe and ojjjj
0: what he's insinuating there.
3: Sometimes it feels like I'm a few bottle caps over a 12-pack.
0: Does he think we just can't drink 12? Because game on, yeah, baby.
3: Challenge accepted.
0: Hey, everybody, I am Joe Salci. average Joe money on Twitter and across the card table from me to kick off your week again on the Stacky Benjamin Show. It's the other guy, or as we call him, OG. Say what? Man, great weekend. Just
3: another beautiful day in paradise. How I- about you? You've been... Uh- all around God's green earth, the last couple of uh, last couple. Of weeks I have here.
0: fantastic trip to Michigan. Glad to be back home, though. Happy to see some peeps in uh, Traverse City. That was fun.
3: I so. just got done having a Jamaica Misteka.
0: Is that a drink too?
3: <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they called it.
0: I don't know what does that mean, Jamaican Misteka?
3: Jamaica Misteka. You ever heard the, f- the phrase Jamaica Misteka? No, I, I just didn't. Jim, Jimmy Buffett song.
0: You ever hear the phrase "Back in the Stone Age"?
3: Once. Back in the Stone Age I did.
0: Because back in the Stone Age before M1 Finance, investing your money, OG, on your own, it was intimidating, time consuming, and expensive. You did do all this calculating and input every trade you want to make, and then you were hit with this commission every time you clicked a button. It was like a a
3: stone chisel.
0: Let's have an old guy moment. What were the commissions on brokerage trades when you first started as an advisor?
3: Oh geez, I don't even remember. Probably all of fifty dollars, if not more, seventy-five maybe.
0: We were considered low when I started. Oh gosh,
3: yeah, I mean that that what, I, I I
0: know some places are low, but higher. What, well, say. no, I was going to say mine were two hundred fifty bucks.
3: Two fifty, okay, yeah, maybe they were two fifty. I don't even remember. Yeah, but, um, yeah. When I first started, uh,
0: it was two hundred fifty, and you know, some people, some of the old guys out there talk about seven hundred dollars, you know, for commissions. But anyway, you had to calculate all this stuff and you got hit every time you clicked a button. Forget about buying that one stock you wanted with a high share price, right? Thankfully, M1 Finance has completely changed the investing game because you can now build and own a diversified investment portfolio made up of the stocks and ETFs that you pick. You basically tell M1 what you want to own and then M1 automates the plan. It's incredibly easy and intuitive to build your portfolio and customize it to your liking. And you know the cool thing, OG? You don't even have to customize it. You can just tell them to customize it for you. If you're, you know, lazy or just you're, need. you're a
3: quasi do-it-yourself. Or yeah, or you you're just do it yourself, but you want some help.
0: Need to get started. Then it's as easy to manage as a savings account. You simply deposit withdraw money. M1 uses intelligent automation and fractional shares to invest every penny in the most efficient way. It's the comprehensive investing platform. And people are asking, what does it cost? Well, I'll tell you what it costs. First thousand on the platform's free. They charge only 0.25% for balances up to 100000 and then 0.15 if you're over 100000 Do yourself a favor. Check it out at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash M, the number one finance. That's stackingbenjamins.com forward slash M, number one finance.com or download their slick mobile app on iOS or Android. M1 Finance. Be invested. Let's get invested in this here show because we have Meg Gill coming down to the basement. Phenomenal entrepreneur and beer. How about that? Yumbo. We're going to talk to her about her new Viceland show, where she goes across the country talking to entrepreneurs who are trying to get their start in the beer business. Going to talk to her also, I think, about her education, you know, uh, being a young entrepreneur and getting right into that business out of college. Like, how did your degree help you? What about people out there that, you know, because she's talking to these entrepreneurs that are brewing beer literally in their basement. And what if they want to make the big step like she did to do it full time? So if you've ever thought about being an entrepreneur, Meg Gill's going to talk to that. But first, we got some awesome headlines. So let's move.
1: Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines.
0: First headline comes to us from Investment News. This is a continuing story here on the Stacking Benjamin show. Greg about Johnny Depp. No, not that continue. That's another continuing story, isn't it? Did
3: you see what I tweeted about that? Did you see that a couple weeks yeah, ago? Yeah,
0: how about that? About
3: how he's like, it would be it would be really ridiculous to have to fly fly with all the peasants on commercial air, airplanes.
0: Wouldn't that be horrible if you had to do that?
3: I know the pain, Johnny. To, to have to feel, feel your pain, f- brother. Fly
0: with people like me. Right. No, this is the other continuing story. Greg Ayakirchi wrote this. Voyas win in 401k fee suit involving financial engines bodes well for other record keepers. Fidelity, Aon Hewitt, and Xerox HR Solutions are currently defending against other similar Fiduciary Breach Claims. So, we've talked a lot about people suing their 401ks, OG. Class and action
3: suits, yeah.
0: In this one, the dismissal of a lawsuit against Voya Financial for its relationship with 401k robo-advisor financial engines could be a harbinger of success for other major retirement plan record keepers locked in similar legal battles. Judge Lorna Schofield dismissed claims of fiduciary breach under the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974. Because the plaintiff failed to prove Voya served as a fiduciary with respect to its fees. Listen to this. This is th- yeah, this th- is
3: an interesting take on this. Uh,
0: yeah, 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 this really is. So Lisa Patrico is the participant in the Nestle 401k savings plan who alleged Voya charged excessive fees She's the person that brought the brought the suit. She claimed Voya kept a quote, substantial portion of the fee for the advice service, even though Financial Engines is the is the entity that provided that. We saw this about Ford, too, right? Where there's one company who supposedly is doing the job and then they're splitting fees with the record keeper, which just seemed a little sketchy when we heard about it with the Ford piece. Obviously, we're working from investment news. We're, <laughs> we're we don't know everything about this case. Sure.
3: Yeah. So a two-page article here.
0: John Utz, an employee benefits and executive compensation attorney at Utz and Latan, said this, the court has said that an entity can be a fiduciary for some purposes and not others. And with respect to this fee issue, Voya was not a fiduciary. That's a mess. When I read that, at first I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is good. And then now we're going to split hairs about, okay. Uh, yeah,
3: in this circumstance, on this plan, you are a fiduciary. In this circumstance, and this plan, you're not. I c- and good luck trying to differentiate it if you're the consumer, let alone if you're the provider of the content.
0: So I can talk to the people about my 401k and really not know if they're in my corner or not. Because sometimes yeah. they are, and sometimes they're not. I thought that was weird.
3: Yeah, that's uh, interesting.
0: I you still know, think, is. as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, some of these, these uh, lawsuits are excessive. But, man, that's that's weird. He says, I think those facts are probably true with respect to the other lawsuits as well. Oh, Voya, for example, couldn't control the number of participants using the personalized advice service offered in the Nestle 401k plan. So because of that, that's why they're saying that they got a set fee. And Voya really couldn't do anything to control the fact that, hey, we got paid X amount. So right. Okay. Interesting. But doesn't it seem like you'd make a different deal where you it was based on people... The number of people that use the financial engine service?
3: I guess it depends on which side of the table you're sitting on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, within the past month, Putnam Investments and Wells Fargo & Company also defeated fiduciary breach claims for using several proprietary investment funds in their 401k plans. Fidelity also beat back a claim regarding its management of a stable value fund. You said somebody about the stable value fund? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I want 1.4 instead of 1.2. That's
3: crazy. That is. That is. If you didn't have your money in the stable value fund, then you wouldn't have to sue them.
0: Ms. Schofield filed the dismissal June 20th. So this is about a month ago. Gave uh, plaintiffs 21 days to file an amended complaint. If plaintiffs decline, the case will be closed. Bump, bump. We we need a gavel right there on that one. Donk, donk. Yeah. And (laughs) on uh, ABC News, the second headline today. This is a scary one. You know, so... You can find ways to make money, or you can just become a treasure hunter. You ever think about becoming a treasure hunter? No. No. No, no I haven't. That was your college days going to the bar. <laughs> you called that going treasure hunting?
3: Let's <laughs> going treasure hunting. That's <laughs> interesting. I haven't heard that phrase, but I like it. I but, might use that this weekend.
0: Yeah. Mrs. OG loves it. Can we play <laughs> treasure hunter? <laughs> That'll be great. She's going to say... Oh, never oh, mind. Boy. I'm not going to... Yeah, no, we'll She's go not going to say nothing. No. Police want a New Mexico treasure hunt to end after two deaths. This is by mm,
3: I do know about this one. This, this one actually is kind of
0: interesting. Courtney Conley. New Mexico police are asking a millionaire antiques dealer to end the hunt for his hidden treasure filled with gold and jewels after two adventure seekers have died searching for it. People think that it's along the Rio Grande in northern Mexico, where he people hit think it.
3: it's all over the gosh darn place. I read an article in. I don't know, Adventure magazine or someplace, right? Where this other writer and his friend had figured out they, they thought, anyway, that they figured out where it was, but they thought it was in Colorado somewhere. Apparently, this guy, I mean you're gonna talk about this in a second here, but apparently he left a lot of clues. He wrote like a big long poem.
0: In his 2010 memoir, The Thrill of the Chase, New Mexico millionaire Forrest Fenn wrote a poem he said has clues leading to the hidden treasure. In 2015, he told ABC News affiliate KOAT that he estimated 30,000 people look for the treasure in the summer of 2014, and he expected that 50,000 looked for it in 2015.
3: The other thing that people are kind of wondering, right, because this is an old man, and apparently he described the body, you know, it's a big chest, right? It's not like a little, it's not like a pirate, you know, like the things you see on TV, right? He says
0: that it has in the chest, it has mostly American Eagles and double Eagles, Hundreds of gold nuggets, some as large as chicken eggs, ancient Chinese carved jade figures, pre-Columbian gold animal artifacts, lots of rubies, emeralds, sapphires, and diamonds and other things. Two hundred and sixty-five gold coins and all.
3: He's also a big fan of the outdoors. So it's leading people to speculate that this treasure is really just a metaphor for being outside is your reward. Heat. And now people are getting a little frustrated that nobody's found it yet.
0: The quote directly from Fenn says this, I wanted the monetary value to be a consideration for those who are looking for it, but mostly my motive was to get kids off the couch and away from their texting machines and out in the mountains.
3: Out in them texting machines? We got to get you out in the mountains.
0: The guy who died, 52-year-old uh, Paris Wallace, traveled to the area around Espanola, New Mexico last week, reported missing by his wife last Wednesday. She's a treasure hunter, also OG. Now, your husband just died looking for the treasure. She said that she and her son are going to continue looking for yeah, the double treasure. Down now. Yeah, you got oh, to. Yeah. Oh, that's I don't understand. I guess I do understand. I mean, you know, if you're going to have some fun, you're going to play around looking for looking for some treasure, but you know there's people that are betting their entire life on finding this treasure like what's you said that no might or might not than exist. Like
3: the, what's that? The DB's millions?
0: Yeah, the guy that jumped out of the plane, plane. Heist,
3: yeah. you know or whatever, they jumped out of the plane at yeah. Over the cascades or whatever.
0: Uh, Fenn wrote, please don't overextend yourself. I was 80 or about when I hid the treasure and it was not a difficult task. I'll soon be 87 and I could go back and get it if I were so inclined. I think. I love that. I think in the end of that.
3: Yeah. So people use a lot of these clues, right? Like he had to have driven it. He can't, you know, he's not going to drag this thing 600 miles through the woods and, you know, bury it. And Apparently it's not buried. Apparently it's just there, but you also got to figure if it's been, you know, if it's been six or seven years
0: overgrown by now. So lessons, number one, if you're going to hunt for the treasure, stay safe and probably don't. You
3: need one of those papyrus maps that have like the dashed lines and a big X on it.
0: He should have had that, right. Yeah. And then the other one one is uh, thinking about suing your 401k. Looks like the uh, tables have turned. Tables starting to turn a little bit there. Greg Gill is the co-founder and president of Golden Road Brewing, a subsidiary of AB InBev, an independent brewer. It was independent until 2015. She has been listed at 28 years old in the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. That was back in 2014. Also in 2014, Wine Enthusiast Top 40 Under 40 Tastemakers and Golden Row Brewery and Gil were both honored as California Small Business of the Year for Los Angeles County in 2014 and honored as 2015 Blue Ribbon Small Business Award winner by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, nominated for Small Business of the Year. She went to Yale University, and we'll talk to her about her time at Yale. She swam for Yale and also participated at the Olympic trials in swimming. And uh, we're going to talk to her a little bit about how being... Probably
3: before she drank a whole bunch of beers. We're going to
0: talk to her about, about how her time in college informed her career, about her experience swimming, and let's also talk to her about being an entrepreneur and her new series on Viceland, where she goes around the country... Talking to other people hoping to make the switch into entrepreneurship. Meg Gill on uh, My Dad Shortwave. And joining me on the Shortwave is Meg Gill from Golden Robe Microbrewery. How are you? I'm
1: doing great, Joe. I'm uh, drinking a beer in Southern California. Talking
0: to you. That sounds so, like a tough day. Tough things, tough. things
1: could be worse. <laughs>
0: right, right. Well, how did you get started? Because beer sounds like an interesting place to begin. Did it start with a love of beer or did you see an opportunity in that market that wasn't being met?
1: Yeah, a little bit of both. You know, I didn't go down the path to necessarily make a bunch of money. I went down the path because it was a, a product and a philosophy that I fell in love with when I was in Colorado. So brief history. I graduated from Yale with a classics degree and I had run some small businesses at school just to, help pay my way through school you know we didn't have an entrepreneurship program at the time and i didn't know what that was but what i did know is that i didn't want to go to wall street i didn't want to be a lawyer i didn't want to be a doctor i wanted to do something i was really passionate about i wasn't passionate about those things and that kind of put me in this all other category i was still in addition to kind of wanting to do what i was passionate about i was still swimming really well toward the end of my senior year of college So I didn't want to give up the sport when I was still getting better. So my plan was to go out to Boulder, Colorado and, you know, take on whatever jobs I could while I trained for swimming Olympic trials. And while I was in Boulder, the first day after the drive from New Haven, Connecticut to Boulder, Colorado, I had a Dale's Pale Ale, and I ended up meeting the owner of Oscar Blues Brewery, Dale Katechis, a couple weeks later. And he said, if it ain't fun, I ain't doing it. You're fun. Let's do it. And that was kind of the the line and the philosophy that drew me into craft beer. The more I heard his story, the craft beer story, and began to tell it to other people, the more I realized that that was my calling, was to get more people involved and excited about great craft beer. I had never tasted anything like you know, uh, a hoppy pale ale in my college days, you know, we drink the the macro big <laughs> right. uh, big produced stuff, you know, and typical frat party beers. And so once I discovered those flavors and the stories behind how the beer's made, who's making the beer, I just became infatuated with learning the whole industry. And really what has driven me is a passion for learning above all else, and the more I learned about beer, the more I wanted to know, and so that's what drew me into the business, and I saw that there was this huge opportunity where every time I talked to people about beer when I was out and about craft beer, people wanted to learn more and know more just like me, and so I thought, if this is less than, you know, 3% of the U.S. beer market, this is 10 years ago, you know, there's more than that 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 we can take. There's 97% out there of Of mass-produced beer and imports. So, you know, I really started with a goal to help expand the craft beer market share, which is a pretty lofty goal as a 22-year-old, but I never meant to get pigeonholed into one brand or one alleyway. And so I think that that's, um, while I have founded Golden Road and am very passionate about Golden Road and most of my efforts go into Golden Road, I am a, a bit more diverse than that in, you know, my activities within the beer industry. I'm still with that thought that growing craft beer market share is a pretty cool kind of mission and career to make.
0: Well, and you've given me a lot there to talk about that people can learn from, but I want to start off with one of the first things that you said, which was that your degree is in classics. And I wonder, because a lot of the time, as you know, there's this big student loan crisis going on. People are talking about the return on investment when it comes to a college education, do you think that having a degree in the classics, did that help you? Did that hurt you? Do you think it makes you more well-rounded should you've gone into something more like engineering or business instead?
1: Well, I will speak to like more generally a liberal arts degree and what, you know, Yale says is they don't teach you how to, um, what to think, but how to think. I developed amazing critical thinking and desire to learn and passion to learn, skills from Yale, as well as, you know, my writing ability really improved from my time there. That kind of dream big mentality that Yale offers is another great attribute. But the biggest thing I think that Yale did for me is when I got that kind of debt feel after college on like, you're on your own, you know, your parents aren't going to help you. I didn't want my parents to help me. You know even if they could and you've got this debt to pay off you have to go to work to me that was one of the greatest lessons of all time was like like okay yeah you you want to swim you want to make a profession out of athletics but you know this debt isn't going away and so i think you know debt early on and then when i had debt to my previous shareholders with golden road that's really been a critical part to having that kind of accountability and responsibility every day when you wake up and every day when you go to sleep. And, um, you know, I worry sometimes about kids that don't have that and that, you know, what are you getting out of bed for if you uh, have everything given to you? And so I think that um, that was a big learning curve for me in my, my early twenties and then into my mid and late twenties when I had investors that I needed to pay back.
0: And then the second thing, obviously, with swimming being such a big part of your life, Meg, how did that make you a better entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that swimming was such a crazy hard discipline that I had done since age four. So I didn't realize the excruciating pain that you put your body and your mind through every day for five or six hours. I didn't know what life was without that. And once I had that flexibility after college that I could go and work and it was nowhere near as hard as as the hours I would put in the pool. I really enjoyed what I was doing, especially something as social as you know brewing, selling and marketing beer. You know, you're around people all day, you're around excited, thirsty customers. I wasn't selling toilet paper. I was out selling a great product and being able to talk to, to other people about it instead of having your you know your face in the water looking down at the black line of a swimming pool all day it was a it was a breath of fresh air for me and that's not to say that i didn't enjoy getting back in the water i do i still enjoy that as an outlet but certainly going from not having a very social outlet to a very social one was a a great breath of fresh air for me
0: yeah and then you talked about you know entrepreneurship and not having an entrepreneurship track, but small businesses at school. And you said that you ran some small businesses, which I'm sure gave you your own version of entrepreneurship. I'd love to hear about some of these small businesses because I bet there's there's got to be some crappy ones that you had along the way, Meg.
1: Oh yeah, they're hilarious and they still exist at Yale. Um, basically, Yale offers students you know who need who need the cash selling and then management opportunities within certain little businesses. So. Ours, you know, we had a couple, and we, meaning me and a couple other female swimmers, one of which was, we ran all the class rings. So we sold all the Yale College rings, and then we diversified into cufflinks and watches. And you know, we formed a partnership with a Tiffany's designer in New York. You know, I remember taking the train to New York City for my first business meeting in the Flatiron Building, and going to the Brooks Brothers outlet and buy, you know, finding the cheapest suit that I could wear to this meeting and we ended up, you know, coming up with designs for really nice sophisticated watches with the Yale brand on it that we then sold to students and alumni. So that was our biggest venture and um, you know, it's funny to to see Yale uh swimmers now. There's a couple still that uh that run it and it just kind of gets passed down year after year and we laugh about the lessons that we learned during that time but you know when you're 18 and you learn how to run payroll it's uh it pays off down the road for sure
0: absolutely which was my next question so you get to golden road you're a 30 under 30 entrepreneur you're i think the youngest person to ever run a microbrewery i've got that stat i don't know if that's true or not but you got to be on the the, you had to been on the lower end um lessons that you wish you had that you didn't get before you're running this microbrewery
1: yeah, you know, I think the biggest mistake that Golden Road made early on was, and this is the first year, quickly after the first year, you know, we brought in a CFO and we cleaned all this stuff up. But we went out to build the most high-quality infrastructure brewery that that we possibly could to service the L.A. market. And at the end of the first year, we we raised what ended up being about $12 million. And at the end of the first year, our main investor goes, So uh, do you put any money aside for marketing? (laughs) We were like, (laughs) no, we spent it all on tanks and and brewing equipment and a lab, you know. And so that made things more difficult, but in the end paid off. I mean, we had had no money for marketing or sales support. And what it did do is it forced me to go to every retailer meeting and put kind of my sales hat on from the very beginning because we didn't have any support. We didn't have any marketing or advertising. And, um, you know, it's just kind of a funny lesson learned of, Hey, wouldn't you, you know, our investors, wouldn't you think like a consumer product might put like a third of its cash into, into marketing. And, you know, we, we just go, Oh, sh-, you know <laughs> we bought all these tanks. And,
0: but some, to some degree, I think a lot of new entrepreneurs make that mistake. I mean, I talk to people all the time that kind of had this, if I build a better product, people will come which you hope they come, but you can't stop with hope, I don't think. But let's talk about marketing, because you're out there talking about your beer with other people, and they're talking about their beer. I want to talk about this first season of Beerland, which I thought was so awesome. How cool was it going around meeting these people all over the country that are so passionate about beer?
1: Yeah, it was amazing. First of all, it's all the great things about being an entrepreneur without the bad things you get your creative outlet, you're creating a product, a TV show with a great outcome. And you know, it's going to be distributed to millions of people. You're seeing this thing come to life before your own eyes and you're helping gauge, you know, where it's going, where the storyline's going. And at the same time, you just don't have kind of the serious (laughs) baggage, so to speak, of, of operating a big and fast growing business. So it was a great breath of fresh air for me. And I enjoyed the people behind it, the you know, the other producers, the camera guys, everybody was awesome to work with. So it was a lot of fun. And the home brewers themselves, they're people who have been brewing beer for twenty years and still haven't made the leap into professional brewing. And so I was able to really go in and, and help them identify if they should take it to the next level and give them advice on how to get there. And a lot of them the interesting thing is a lot of them what they were missing Was more the confidence piece to to do it, and you know, I see. Hey, I was twenty two with just some college debt when I started this thing. A lot of people have houses, you know, mortgages and kids, and they can't necessarily just make the leap of faith that I made at a young age to go into you know starting a business. So you know, it was refreshing to be able to give these guys the confidence and advice because a lot of them are a lot further along than I was, you know, when I started into beer and have been doing it for so long. Well,
0: that's, that I guess is my next question. You're counseling somebody that has exactly what you talked about. Two kids, full-time job, have to continue to pay the bills, but they have this product, Meg, that you know is a great product you think will sell well. How do you tell them to make that leap?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily telling them make the leap, but I'm telling them, here's my thought on the next steps in your journey and I can help you take that next step. I can help you get, you know, learn how to brew your beer on a commercial scale, see the inner workings of a commercial brewery, see the cash that's needed for a commercial brewery, see if it's something that you want to go do is potentially go raise this kind of money and deal with whether it's investors or friends and family and all that. So I think they get to, you know, lift up the hood of the vehicle, so to speak, without making the leap when they work with me. And then, some of them I know by the end of the process that got through to the finale episode, a couple of them at least were like, this has proven to me that I want to do this and I'm going to do this with my career. So it wasn't necessarily like, hey, drop everything you do right now and start a brewery. That that was not my advice, but my advice was, look, the, on the product side, you have what it takes and now let me sh- show you part of the business center workings and you know, what we've done to grow, you know, our business and see if that's something you want to embark on, you know, after you get done with this process.
0: The show is Beerland, it appears, on uh, Viceland. You can actually even go to viceland.com and catch up with Season 1 there. And then what's going on at Golden Road right now, Meg? What are you guys working on next? Because I'm sure you always have something in the hopper.
1: Yeah, we do. We've got some expansion projects we're working on um, in Anaheim we're building a a pretty large restaurant Golden Road experience. But we've also just got some great beers that are totally out of stock that we're trying to catch back up on supply on. Um, We've got a new mango beer that just went crazy through the roof for us. And then our Wolf Pop Session IPA. So, you know, this mango beer is the first in the fruit cart series. There's all these fruit carts that kind of roll around LA and around the brewery. So we're taking some of these fruits and Putting them in this lower alcohol wheat beer base that's just super refreshing. That you know we're working hard to get back into stock and to more people, but it's done. It's done great for us as well as our uh, session IPA. So we really caught a stride on big flavorful beers at a little bit uh, more sessionable ABVs. It's kind of in line with the soul of our brewery and the lifestyles that we lead. With you know the sun shining and you able to have a
0: couple beers during the day and go about your day what a great job Meg. and those are good problems to have Meg thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes yeah
1: thank you Joe it
0: was a pleasure hey trivia fans
2: I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Doug and welcome to your favorite part of the show my trivia what else would it be well with Meg talking about beer they can make a guy thirsty but apparently I have to wait until I'm off work because of what quote happened last time whatever but enough about me let's start talking about someone we should all hold near and dear to our hearts the first american to brew lager here's the question what was his name i'll have your answer right after i go sneak this glass of sparkling apple juice
0: down here in the basement, we only like to partner with companies we're proud to put our name behind. So we're excited to announce our newest sponsor to the Stacky Benjamin Show, M1 Finance. Recently sat down with Brian Barnes, CEO and founder, and asked him what makes M1 Finance unique. M1
3: is one of the only automated investing platforms that allows you to customize the portfolio
0: that you invest in. It creates a lot more engagement and fun in investing while still being easy and low cost. Anybody who's tried online investing tools are used to compromises. Do you pick a traditional self-directed brokerage that hits you with commissions at every trade or an automated machine makes you hand over the reins? Don't compromise. Scratch out commissions at every turn. Take back control of your own portfolio and take advantage of the uniqueness that's M1 Finance. takes minutes to sign up. Start by heading over to stackybenjamins.com forward slash M1 Finance. M1 Finance. Be invested. Disclaimer, by the way, both Cheryl, my spouse, and I use M1 Finance. It works for us, but... You need to do your own homework.
2: Welcome back, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm here to deliver your frothy, hops-filled trivia answer. Today's question was this. Who was the first American to brew lager? The answer? Well, if your answer had anything to do with guys named Anheuser or Bush, you'd be wrong. The first American to brew lager was none other than a man named John Wagner. He opened his first brewery in 1860 and went on to become a heartthrob on daytime American TV and even scored a hit with a power ballad, All I Need. Oh, wait. I Actually, I probably have that part wrong. But anyway, he kept that brewery going until the Great Depression, so he knew what he was doing with the whole beer thing. Now there's a piece of trivia you can use to win some free beer, huh? Just make sure you send a part of your winnings back my
0: way. See ya. big thanks again to meg gill for spending some time with us you know i i like og how she kind of punted a little bit when i asked her about when she pushes people to you know pushes people she doesn't push people to make the cross that bridge over to being a full-time entrepreneur to go for it but there's got to be stuff when somebody comes up to you and says hey you know what should i do before i go launch this new career what are some of the considerations
3: well, sure. I mean, obviously, the easy ones to think about are money considerations, but a lot of times it it transcends that. It's it's about the freedom and the choice that you have to kind of write your own story, uh, choose your own ending, I guess. The easy stuff to figure out is the money stuff. That's that's the simple thing. The harder part is is to uh, talk about whether or not that's something that you can do. It's the E Myth book, right? Are you just really good at making pies? Or do you want to own the bakery? Because there's you know? a difference
0: between the two. Gosh,
3: there is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Brewing yeah. beer and being, well, she said that about her marketing plan too, right? That, that you know, her first year she thought if we have better tanks, people buy more beer. Oh, and we spent all our marketing money on tanks. Oops. Yeah. yeah. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency are disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on the two things OGU value most. What are those two things?
3: Beer and Fireball.
0: <laughs> that that was the most serious I've ever heard you answer. That is that not it? Like you're on a well, oh you're close. How about your family and your time? I'm sure beer and Fireball are three and four. That's why they third and four. Created the only affordable term life insurance policy backed by Mass Mutual that you can purchase entirely online without a medical exam. Head to stackybegemons.com forward slash haven life now to learn about life insurance the modern way. That's stackybegemons.com forward slash haven life. And because we have had to record way ahead, we've gone through all of our haven life questions, which means. We go to The Basement, our closed Facebook group. Head to stackybeduments.com forward slash basement to join us over there. About 750 of us over in The Basement having a good time there. And here is a question that Zach asked in The Basement. And OG, let's get your take on it. He said, curious to get the opinions of the group. We've been in our house for about five years now. We put 10% down initially, so we've been paying PMI, which is about $580 a year. We now have plenty of money saved to make a lump sum payment of $10,000, which would get the balance of the mortgage down to 80% of the sale price, and then that'll knock out the PMI, right? I've run the numbers, and it looks like it'll take another 32 months to reach this point if we just pay it at the current rate, which means we'd be saving about $1,500 in PMI payments by writing the check today. And because of our tax bracket, we don't get to deduct PMI in our income taxes, There's two things holding me back. Number one, the opportunity cost of putting the money toward the mortgage and not investing it someplace else. And number two, I'm not sure we'll be in this house in three years, and I'm not sure how this would affect us if we decide to move houses. So what does he do?
3: I think there's a couple of pieces here that are also worth noting, and we can just answer it on the face value first and then kind of go through the caveats here. So if you're saving $500 a year, or six hundred dollars a year for three years on ten grand, that's what about six percent? So that's a known six percent rate of return compared to an unknown investment return, right? I mean, if you've got the ten thousand that's invested, then it's going to earn something or lose something. If the money is sitting in your savings account, and you know, and it's just earning you know one percent or one point three percent or whatever it is, this is a pretty simple, pretty simple thing. How it affects the house, uh, you know, when you come to sell it, well, why you just have more equity at that point, right? You have an 80% equity position instead of a 90% equity position. Here's the problem. I don't think that it's going to work out exactly the way that he thinks it will, because most of the time, if you read through the, the mortgage documents, it's not if you pay it down to 80%. It's after you've paid PMI X number of months. And we've got it in our heads that it's as soon as we cross 80%, which is true if you've paid the payments a certain amount of time, right? If you paid, you know, whatever they say, right? Pay 72 payments. And if you're past 80% equity at that point, we drop the PMI. But if you read your mortgage docs or call your mortgage company, they may enforce a different rule. They may say, well, if you're going to pay it, you know, cash, you got to be at 78% or you got to be at 75%.
0: Two or, different ways to
3: approach that. And that may be the case. Or it may you, not be for your mortgage documents.
0: Here's another thing that you could do, too. Well, so you're saying he may have to refinance his house if he was going to do that. He I'm saying the-
3: that if he writes the check and goes, Hi, I'm at 79.9997% equity, the bank may say, well, well, oh, well. no, no, no. We need it to be 78 if you want to pay it off in a lump sum. Because they, they factor that into their profit, right? That PMI is an insurance premium, something, that goes into a pool to insure them against everybody else, Right. And the risk of you defaulting doesn't go away because now you're at 80% versus 90. It's the fact that you were at 90% when you first bought it. That's the risk. You're that tranche of person, so to speak. Here's the other thing that you could look at doing. Maybe the right answer is to do none of these things and call your bank and ask them to reappraise your house. If you've lived in your house three or four years, depending on what where the uh, where the market is that you live, you may find that your house is appreciated in value beyond that 80% equity position. And then you just have them reappraise it and say, well, your house was worth 100,000. You put 10 down, you owe 90. Now it's worth 120. You owe 85. You're good. And then you get to keep the cash and knock out the PMI. So I would start with that first. Then I would confirm with the bank that if in fact I write the check for the gap right now. Will I eliminate the PMI in my next payment? And or what hurdles do I have to jump through? But I would, I would get rid of it. That's what I would do.
0: Bam! If, Instead of investing the money. So the, his whole question about the opportunity cost, you're like, that's your opportunity.
3: Well, the opportunity cost, I mean, I guess I would look at it contrasted to where the money is now, right? It's probably in a checking or a savings account, right? So if you're getting 1%, you pay it off and get 6. Get 6. Yeah. But start with trying to get the appraisal done first because, <laughs> you know, you might yeah. be able to do both right? Keep the money and get the PMI gone.
0: Good stuff, Zach. Thanks for the question that you left over in the basement. Hey, if you'd like us to throw out the Haven Lifeline to you, you are first in line. Head to com forward slash voicemail. And we've got you there. We're also, because we we complain so much about we are so backlogged, we are not backlogged anywhere at all anymore. So bring them on, We need
3: the backlog, please backlog us bring
0: them bring them on i've got uh, two letters and these are short so i thought we'd double up on letters because doug brought down the mail let's talk about these first letter comes to us from steven says he remembers listening to an old episode about life planning he thinks the book that was being discussed was living forward michael hyatt i'm having trouble finding this episode what's the best way to search for old episodes thanks for your help i wrote back to Stephen. we didn't have michael hyatt on the show (laughs) (laughs)
3: yeah i was gonna say i missed that episode that'd be pretty cool if we got michael hyatt on
0: well there was a reason we didn't for that one i heard him on four other shows and i know we get people that write me about this too and somebody does a book tour and uh they go on every show and talk about the same stuff and love some michael hyatt but man was he saying the same thing on every show so i took a pass i actually decided not to uh, so Wait,
3: you went you went eyebrow on Michael Hyatt. Write your
0: nice. write your write your compl- write your complaint letters to me, Joe. Nice. You're like yeah, me.
3: no, you're too lowbrow for us. It, it,
0: that that wasn't the case at all. I love Michael Hyatt. Michael Hyatt's work. I just Platform, yep. said yeah, yeah. Just uh, not what we're looking for today. Also, a note from Daryl. Daryl heard me mentioning the movie Colossal a couple times. We were talking about that about the Jason Sudeikis and. Anne Hathaway movie, where it turns out that she is really a... Right,
3: she's controlling the uh, the monster in yeah, another country. like a Godzilla
0: okay. in South Korea. He said, since I've heard you mention Colossal twice now, I thought I'd check it out. What a bizarre movie. That was my review, Daryl. My review was it was weird as heck. He said, I tried to explain it to my wife this morning, but I really didn't even know where to begin. I had the same problem. No idea where to begin. He said, I I enjoyed it. There aren't many movies out there anymore that aren't just completely predictable. Colossal was not predictable at all. I totally agree with that. He says, it seems every type of movie and plot line has been done to death. Colossal was kind of a breath of fresh air in that respect. Totally agree. It was a breath of fresh air. I just didn't like where it went the second half of the movie. It started off so campy and fun and it got dark and weird and you're right. You didn't expect it to go there, but man, I'll tell you, I, I'm I'm with Daryl when it comes to all these Marvel movies. Man, I just feel like, like Guardians of the Galaxy two. I felt like I'd seen the movie before. You know what I mean? All of them
3: we've seen before. They're the same beginning, middle, and end. So
0: it just um, you know it's a it's a formula that they just keep bringing out, and which is why I like Deadpool. So it's why I like Guardians of the Galaxy one so much. Was because it was this breath of fresh air. It was a little different, a little campy, a little, a little fun. I've used the word campy now a couple times, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. But uh, good stuff, Daryl. I don't know if I can recommend though. So that's the third time we've talked about Colossal on this show. It doesn't mean I'm recommending that movie. <laughs> I still, I still, I'm with Daryl trying to explain it to his spouse. Like, what? Okay, where do you where do you start with that one? He said also our roundtable guests when we had on Jamila and Fritz on the show. Uh, that he thought that was fantastic, said although he missed Paul and Greg. And he said, we had a discussion on their OG, about people giving up their personal phone because they had a phone through work and just going with the work phone. He wanted to chime in on that and said he, too, gave up his personal phone for a work phone. He said he doesn't care about the privacy. He's not doing anything wrong. I don't know what the limitations are, so I just use data for personal use very sparingly. Seems like a lot of our audience, by the way, I had several people that hit me on Twitter and on Facebook saying the same thing, that... Uh, that they just use their work phone and don't use a ton of data and feel like they're 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 all right not having their own phone.
3: I take the opposite approach because I'm paying for unlimited data. Um use as much as possible. I, when I get down to the end of the month and I'm at like six gigs used for the for I turn off Wi-Fi on my phone and I stream a four K movie.
0: Just to make and, sure you get all of it.
3: And and Spotify on all my devices at the same time overnight. It's like I just run it, run I, it till it's dead.
0: Yeah, you don't even listen. No,
3: I it, no, I do it at night. Like I put it in the other, put it in the other room. Just run it. Just and then AT&T calls and they're like, sir, you've used twenty of your twenty-two gigs. I'm like, so I'm still under. It's, so I've got two gigs left to go.
0: It's unlimited and, data. And baby, I'm
3: gonna do my best. Today's the thirtieth. <laughs> I just I've, got. I got like Waze and Google Maps and Apple Maps. Everything. I'm just driving around my neighborhood in a circle. I've got streaming a, 4K movies on all my devices. I've
0: got, I'm on a mission. Burning data. On a mission to make sure that AT <laughs> bigger mis-
3: pie. Nothing. I'm all about. This is mine. I'm gonna take it.
0: OG has shorted AT and T stock, and he's trying to make sure <laughs> that the profit is as small as possible.
3: <laughs> Not true, everybody. <laughs>
0: Could you see them on their quarterly statement? Uh, We were going to make it, but at the last hour we had a a gentleman (laughs) in the Texarkana neighborhood near Joe's basement, uh, Joe's mom's basement, who um, used up a ton of data and uh, there went the profit for the quarter. But we're hoping that we could take a hitman out, maybe (laughs) maybe get rid of that guy. we'll, we'll, We'll make some money. Oh, man. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to everybody who's left us a review of the show. If you would be so kind to take a second, wherever you listen to the show, if it's on iTunes or if it's Stitcher, wherever it might be, to leave us a review so people know what they're getting into, that helps us amazingly. And also, what else do I have to mention here then? Oh! If you need help in your corner and you don't know where to turn, guess what? OG's taking on clients. So if you need a professional in your corner, here's how you get there. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash letter O and letter G, and that's it. And that'll take you right to his calendar, and you can find out what it'll take to get OG in your corner working on your financial plan. All right, guys. We'll see you back here on Wednesday because I said we don't have a backlog. We don't. We're going to clean out the letters It's all you. You're the star on Wednesday show with uh, one of our most downloaded shows ever is always our letter show. So make sure you tune back in here Wednesday for the potpourri. All right, Doug, you got it from here. Well, thanks, Joe. I'd be happy to take over and clean up
2: all the mistakes you and OG made and tell these folks what they really should have learned. First, let's take some advice from Meg Gill. Don't be afraid to chase your dreams and like Meg, start early. You're going to make mistakes, so get that experience rolling as soon as you can. Second, looking for lost treasure? Don't risk your life. Maybe you'd be better off starting your own side gig to create a fortune. But the big lesson? Never leave your beer unattended. No, really. Your, quote, friends in their mom's basement will probably think it would be the best joke ever to mix a bottle of hot sauce in with your beer. Some guys need to get a better hobby. Special thanks to Meg Gill. You can find more about her company, Golden Road Brewing, at goldenroad.la, just like the city. Of course, you can always find all of our links through our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes, Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm going to go buy you drinks until you find me attractive. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks. But like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Special thanks to Joe's mom for these raisin oatmeal cookies. They pair really well with Schlitz.
0: Oh, we've heard a ton of movies that I've seen lately. Every once in a while, oh, G C's movie. So I was surprised, dude, when you brought this one to me.
3: Yeah, on an airplane, uh, traveling from here to there.
0: The only place you ever watch movies. This is a documentary about a little-known guy. I think his name's what Warren Buffet. Is it Warren Buffet? Yes. Yeah, probably. And now, one of the most respected investors in America is going to tell you about his secrets.
2: Warren Buffett. It's the sound of money.
3: Million 9.2 Warren billion Warren Buffett, the second richest year, man in generation. America. He's estimated to be worth about 62 billion dollars, makes him the richest man in the world.
1: You know, Buffett is not exactly what you might expect. Even though he's in the money business, he doesn't even own a calculator or a computer. He takes
0: the long view, and it's made him billions, many billions.
3: Maybe you can beat the House, but I don't think you can beat
0: Warren Buffett. Maybe you can beat the House, but I don't think you can beat Warren Buffett.
3: Yeah. Pretty decent uh, documentary, about an hour and 45 minutes or so. Kind of follows him around, talks about his... uh, his upbringing talks about how he, um, how he learned about money in the first place and really his biggest, his biggest secret to everything is just to let compounding work, you know, just, just the whole idea of of compounding money is the greatest thing in the world. I did not know this and maybe you did. I I just don't know Warren Buffett at all other than, you know, anecdotally, but apparently he had some pretty healthy, uh, marital problems. Uh, His wife basically left him in the late 70s, but they never got divorced. And she says in the film here that he was incapable of taking care of himself. Like he's just like one of those savants that needs everything like set out for him because he can't operate, I guess. So she said, I'm out of here, but I'm not divorcing you. But I got my I got my friend to come stay with you to like, you know, take care of you, basically. And so his, his wife, his, you know, first wife, I guess you could say now she passed away. She had, um, I don't know if she had cancer or something. I don't remember. They said, but, um, but anyway, she passed away. And then a couple of years later, he married this other woman who had, had been basically he'd been living with for 40 years, but, uh, really, really kind of awkward whole part of the whole story that, that he even shut down the interviewer. They're like, so how did you, and he goes, I'm not talking about this. It's
0: like, Oh, okay. Not at all. I thought you were going to say that he got a divorce when he saw the way that when she saw the way that he was talking to Becky quick. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. But some kind of funny things in there, you know, it's just kind of how he runs his life and, you know, and how he uh, he, he decides how much money or his, his wife now decides uh, she puts in his uh, cup holder in the morning, a certain dollar amount, it's either like two dollars and 13 cents. $2 and 98 cents or $3 and 23 cents or whatever the numbers are. There's three different numbers. And when he drives through the McDonald's drive through, he looks at how much money he has and that's what he gets to spend that day for breakfast. And so, so on the day that they were interviewing him, you know, he goes, Oh, it's the $2 one. Looks like I'm going this, going with the sausage McMuffin, uh, the market's down today. So it's probably a good thing that we're spending two bucks and not three bucks on lunch or on breakfast. And the funny thing is, everybody else laughed at that part, right? You go, ha, 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 you know, markets down. But if you kind of look behind that, you kind of take a second and think about what he just said, like he wasn't joking about it. You know what I mean? Like he kind of was, but I bet deep down in his soul, he really wasn't. You know what I mean? It just kind of felt like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, so all could go away tomorrow. So you got to be careful. He eats like
0: crap. He oh, eats gosh.
3: like yeah. Oh, yeah, Terry Coke and Egg McMuffin. Oh, he's
0: horrible. Oh, and <laughs> yeah. he's, and, and you know, they own Dairy Queen, right? So, oh, yeah. so yeah. you find him at Dairy Queen. Our friend John Schmoll over at Frugal Rules lives in Omaha and actually oh, yeah. met him and Mark Cuban at a Dairy Queen. Just
3: hanging out. Yeah. Just having an ice cream.
0: Yeah, they were having a discussion.
3: Yeah. So kind of an interesting story. It could have been a lot more it could have been a lot more than it was. Um,
0: so it's not, you're not getting an in depth thing. You're getting, oh, this is not like, 30, thousand going, foot
3: here's, here's my, here's how I, you know, analyze companies all the way down to the, down to the minutia. No, not at all. It, it's definitely kind of a rah rah thing about how great he is and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, it passed the time. It gets the, uh, you can that watch a, that Nabruski on an airplane is uh you know good enough for a short two hour flight.
0: We won't link to this because we don't link to anything in the after show because we never talked about this.
3: Uh, it doesn't exist, but, people.
0: But I'll tell you But
3: it said it was on HBO, by the way. It well, was an HBO documentary.
0: The whole thing's on YouTube.
3: But and and it's also on YouTube. And
0: so it looks just, like it's l- legally on YouTube. You know, it's not like some dude holding the camera yeah. <laughs> in a movie theater. <laughs> yeah.
3: It's oh. all in Spanish. <laughs> and you're like, well, I just I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I watched it. Does it count? That's how we watched Lego Batman the first time. <laughs> I'm not joking. Really? Yeah. No, absolutely. Remember, I told you I didn't like Lego Batman. That was part of the reason because it was off-centered in, in Spanish. <laughs> um, so we had. Got, so I. Why? Why? Let me tell. Let me tell the whole story now. So, so I, I decided to do the a good thing, right? So I'm gonna take my kids, my I'm, boys.
0: I'm gonna rip off a movie
3: no 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 i'm taking my boys and their friends so i got four kids right and we're gonna go see lego batman we're going to the movie theater we're doing that we're doing the amc theater where you get the reclining
0: seats oh yeah yeah yeah! assigned know, vibrating
3: seat. seats everything yeah. right yeah, we got right. our seats picked out position a we get our popcorn we got our candy we got our cokes we got our slushies we got the whole thing oh geez down a hundred bucks already waiting for the movie to start, waiting for the movie to start, waiting for the movies to no previews, no nothing, right? Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. You can kind of see the shadows behind you, right? They're obviously working on the kids are getting a little restless. They're working on the movie theater. Finally, the manager comes out and he says, guys, I know the movies will start at, night, at, at you know 1130. We're having a little bit of a tech issue. We're gonna get it done in about 10 minutes. We, we got a call in to the corporate office and their tech is working with ours. Okay, cool. 20 minutes later, he comes out. He says, we're not gonna be able to show the movie it's fried. We had a lightning strike yesterday. Looks like it fried the computer on the, on the projector so, you know, we just can't show the movie. So, apologize. We're going to refund your ticket. We're going to give you tickets for the next time so, so you can get your money back. You'll get another ticket. We'll refund your concessions. You can stay and watch the movie later if you want. Whatever. Well, I ain't got all day. So, we just, you know, we just talked to the kid and we're like, listen, this is just not going to happen. right? We're going to go back home. So I go to drop my my kids' friends off, and their dad meets me in the driveway, and he says, why don't you guys come in for a little bit? And I said, oh, okay, fine, right? And he says, hey, we can still watch Lego Batman. <laughs> I'm like, huh? And he what? says, no, nah, no, nah, we can still watch it. I'm like, no, nah, the theater was busted. I don't want to go to another theater. He goes, no, nah, I got it. I got it covered.
0: Wink, wink, he, nod, nod. Wink,
3: wink, nod, nod. So then he does something to his TV, right? I don't know. He plug something in. He's got some contraption. I'm trying not to pay any attention so I can't be deposed. And um, and all of a sudden it comes up. Ta-da! Here's the movie, right? And the kids are like, "All right, he's awesome. He's way better than you. You took us to that stupid broken theater and here we get to do it at home. And no joke, it was like, it was like the camera was like this, like way off to the side, with subtitles in English and all in Spanish. Oh, that's... And I'm like... Some so, dude's
0: holding a phone up to the thing.
3: Yeah. So that's how that's how. They, and, they, and the kids liked it. They thought it was funny. I'm like, do you guys speak Spanish? I'm like, no. No. Well, what was funny about it? Oh, the, the funny thing. And you couldn't read all the words because they were off on an angle. They weren't like dead yeah. center. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it was off on an angle. So you'd see like, like two thirds of the.
0: That's so bad.
3: Oh, oh it was terrible. So that is so you know, bad. I do not condone pirating movies. No. Uh,
0: and sadly, the way that story ends is, uh, OG had to turn that guy in. I did. And
3: yep. It, and I got a hundred thousand dollar finder's fee. What do they call that? What was that guy's name that I turned in? Um, Mr. Uh, that guy in New Zealand.
0: And, and now, now OG's kids, about. now OG's kids don't have a dad <laughs> living at home. OG's friends. OG's <laughs> kids' friends don't have a yeah, don't have a dad living at home anymore. But it's not yeah. your problem. You weren't pirating movies.